0: Hey, good morning, everyone. Look at this packed place. Look around, would you? Yeah, one service. Look at this, man. It is great to see you guys here this morning. And uh, man, what a great morning outside, huh? As you were coming in today. Boy, loving this weather, aren't you? Well, yeah, as Pastor Doug was saying, go ahead and open up your Bibles there to Mark chapter 11. We're going to be continuing there. That's on page 410. If you're using one of the Bibles that... You've picked up there in the back, and we are in this series called What Did Jesus Do through the book of Mark, verse by verse, so I hope you've been with us for that, you've been enjoying studying through that, and uh, as you're finding Mark 11, you know, we've all heard the statement, there are no dumb questions, right, or there are no stupid questions. Now, if you're a parent, you know that's not true, right, right? <laughs> Okay, you know, let's just be honest and, and say that, right? Uh, because uh, I, I'll just share a few of them from my family and our personal experience. Uh, questions like, this one will be familiar with a lot of you. You know, you get in the car to, to drive to Kansas and everybody, including the kids, knows it's like a nine-hour drive and there's nothing in between here and Kansas City. <laughs> so, you, you know, you get in the car, and you're driving, and you just kind of get on I-70, and someone says, are we there yet? Oh, come on, again? And then how about this one? Uh, again, personal one here from our family. Nana, why does your skin look like fried chicken? So, <laughs> hey, yeah. And you're glad my kids aren't your grandkids so, <laughs> and how about this one you're laying there at night and you've got your eyes shut you're in bed the lights are off and you get this uh, heavy breathing right up by your face and are you asleep <laughs> and you're like yes I'm a sl- I was Well, speaking of dumb questions, in this section where we're at today, uh, we find the religious leaders of the day coming to Jesus, again, out to trap Him, out to uh, trick Him with some of these questions, trying their best to trip Him up. And they've been at this for some time. If you've been with us in the the book of Mark, you've seen this. And uh, Jesus answers four of these questions that He gets, and then He asks them one question That silences them for good. So a total of five questions. Four directed at Jesus from the religious of the day. And one question directed at the religious leaders from Jesus. And uh, if you'll turn there in your notes in your newsletter. And you're there in Mark chapter 11. The first question is a question of authority. A question of authority. And we will pick up in verse number 27 and it says this in mark 11 verse 27 then they came again to jerusalem and he as he was walking in the temple the chief priests the scribes and the elders came to him and they said to him by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you the authority to do these things but jesus answered and said to them i also will ask you one question then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Answer me. So he, he follows up their question with a question. And he starts talking about John the Baptist here. And he says, you know, was, was his work that he was doing, was it from heaven or from men? Answer me. And look at verse 31. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say uh, why then did you not believe him but if we say that, that his ministry was from men they feared the people for all counted John to have been a prophet indeed so they were, they were kind of in a sticky spot here look at verse 33 so they answered and said to Jesus we do not know and Jesus answered and said to them neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things and we'll stop right there for now Uh, Jesus knew their hearts. They had been coming. They had been asking these questions. Their hearts were hard. They were just looking to trap him. And the Jewish leaders of of the day had not accepted what John the Baptist had taught. And so Jesus answers their question with another question. And they don't know how to answer. They're now caught in the trap. They come to Jesus about authority and now it's turned on them. And they don't know how to answer because if they answer one way, they're going to get in trouble. If they answer another way, they're going to get in trouble here. And before they can leave, Jesus tells them a parable. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12. It continues right on through here. Look at verse 1. It says this. Then he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it dug a place for the wine vat and built a tower and he leased it to the vine dressers and went uh, into a far country now at vintage time he sent a servant to the vine dressers that he might receive some of the fruit of the vineyard from the vine dressers and they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed again he sent them another servant and at him they threw stones wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully treated and again he sent another And him they killed, and many others, beating some and killing some. Look at verse 6. Therefore, still having one son, his beloved, he also sent him to them last, saying, They will respect my son. But those vine dressers said among themselves, This is his heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. Have you not even read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hands on him, but feared the multitude, for they knew he had spoken a parable against them. So they left him and went away. And so Jesus gets this question about authority. He asks one about. John the Baptist ministry, and then goes into this parable, and the point of this parable is that the, the servants had come to this vineyard, and it's a picture. He is condemning these religious leaders, and it, it is a picture of this: Israel and these religious leaders is, uh, is the vine dressers. And the servants are prophets that God had sent to them throughout the years. But you see, these prophets had been beaten, some of them killed, mistreated, not listened to. Finally, the master in our parable sends his son. And this is a picture of God sending his son, Jesus Christ, to them, to the religious of the day, to the nation of Israel. It's a picture how God sends Jesus, and he is killed. He is crucified. And he is simply in this passage here condemning the religious leaders. So back in chapter 11, all the way into this parable here, it's about questioning the authority of Jesus. They're questioning His authority. And as I read that this week, I thought, have I ever questioned the authority of God in my life? You know? Where I've just chose to do everything on my own and not included God in it. I mean, you're here this morning. It's Labor Day weekend. Look at this. You're, every, we're packed in all these sections this morning. Many of you would go, I'm a Christian. I, I would not question the authority of God in my life. I could say, how many of us, we don't question the authority of God, and we would all raise our hands, and we would say that, and we would, uh, we would affirm that? But if you really looked into your heart of hearts, do you ever question the authority of God? If you were to look at your actions, you know our actions speak louder and louder than words. We could see where we do question or buck the authority. Of God in our lives. Look at James 4.17. You don't need to turn there in in your Bibles. We've got it for you here. It says this. Therefore to him who knows to do good. And does not do it. To him. It is sin. It's a question of authority in our lives. You know. Have you turned anything in your life. Over to God's authority. Well you might say. Well part of it. Well God wants all of it. Not just part of it. You know, you, you might say, well, I, I'm just, I can't turn it all over to God because it seems like when I get too much God in my life, I'm following Him more committed. I, I, I seem to be frustrated. I seem to be just kind of hitting a hard spot in my life and think I get persecution. Well, you know what? God wants complete authority in your life. And you know what? Here's the great thing, church. When he has that, guess what he has? Freedom to work his will and way in your life. Freedom. And in turn, you as a believer, you have freedom in him. You know, God should be the ultimate and complete authority in our lives. And this first question was all about authority. The second question is, and just jot this down, a question of responsibility. Question of responsibility and we'll pick up in verse number 13 and it says this in verse 13 then they sent to him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words You might just underline that or circle that in your Bible in verse 13. Again, continuing to try to catch him in his words. When they had come, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and care about no one, for you do not regard uh, the person of men, but teach the way of God and truth. Okay? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Okay, nobody likes to pay taxes, right? Right? And so they bring up a question about taxes here to him. Again, trying to catch him, trying to trip him up. And verse 15, they ask, shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, why do you test me? Bring me a denarius that I may see it. So they brought it and he said to them, whose image and inscription is on this? They said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus answered and said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Again, trying to trap him. Now, why are they asking this question? Because they knew no matter how Jesus replied with an answer, he was in trouble with either Rome or Herod. But Jesus changes the whole discussion here from, politics, really, to principle and shows the religious leaders to be hypocrites. He, he knew it, it, they, they were hypocrites in their hearts, it says there, and he just changes it. Verse 15 says he knows their hypocrisy, and he goes on to point out that the coin with Caesar's image on it, it was minted with Caesar's authority, and the word render, look at that in verse 17, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's means to pay back. Means, it literally means to pay back, and in this case, pay back for uh, things the government had performed, for, um, uh, you know, helping the underprivileged, uh, the roads, things like that, you know, like our taxes today. But then Jesus, and here's the point, he really hits them between the eyes with this, and he adds, and to God, the things that are God's, stating the obvious, really, you know, we, we have a responsibility to God and His work. They, they had, an, in Christ's time, they had a responsibility to God. And he was like, you know, don't, guys, don't make this about taxes and Caesar. What about our responsibility also to God? And for us today, you know, throughout time... Uh, before the law, during the law, after the law, in the New Testament, the people of God, believers, have had a responsibility to, to tithe, to give back to the Lord's work. Not just pay your taxes in your, in your community, but also to the Lord's work. We have a responsibility. In the New Testament church, we carry that on. You know, earlier in the year, we, uh, we talked about that responsibility. And we gave you a phrase, and it, it says this, what we keep is all we have. What we give, he multiplies. Do you remember that? Do you remember that phrase from earlier in the year? That is so true. Now, before you think I've just turned this into a message on giving, I haven't. It's, it's about responsibility Uh, Jesus is like, okay, sure, make sure you pay your taxes, but give give God what is his. Don't forget that responsibility. It's a question of authority, a question of responsibility, and we all have responsibilities. You could probably list out the responsibilities that you have when you wake up in the morning all throughout the day and the things that you have to do with work and your kids and all of those things. And I would just add this, that the... When you're thinking of all your responsibilities, don't forget our responsibilities to our Lord. You know? And we have planners and and online things and our iPhones and iPads and all of this thing. And we put on there all the stuff we got to do and the responsibilities. I, I know for me, lists of stuff that concern work and church and my family and my children and all of that stuff. Guess what? We can get lost in that. We can forget And I also have a responsibility to the Lord. Giving of my time and my talent and my treasure. This all of this happens. This local church, it all happens because of Christians being responsible. It it all happens because we're not underwritten by uh, sports authority. You know, we don't get a check from Pepsi every month for a thousand million billion dollars. I wish. I'm working on that behind the scenes. It's one of my responsibilities. Uh, you know, just, you, you, do you understand what I'm saying? Man, we have a responsibility to other things that concern the Lord. So there's a question about authority and a question about responsibility. And then next we find a question of theology. Just write that down there in your notes this morning. A question of theology. And We'll pick up in verse 18, but before we do... Uh, let's define that. It's in your notes, we'll put it on the screen here as well. Theology kind of a, a big word. you might be like, "What in the world is theology?" And theology is simply our belief about God. Our belief about God. And with that in mind, let's look at verse 18. It says, Then some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and they asked him, saying, Okay, so Sadducees were a religious group of the day. They did not believe in in the soul or eternity or life after death. Uh, They were the elite of the day. They were very wealthy in the religious of the day. And so they come to him with this question based on their theology. Verse 19 says, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now they give a hypothetical question. Look at verse 20. Now, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and dying. He left no offspring, and the second took her, and he died, nor did he leave any offspring. And the third likewise. So the seven had her and left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died also. So, uh, you know, question here that they're making up. What if all these, you know, brothers were married to this woman, and throughout all that time, none of them had any offspring? I won't comment about that any further. What in the world? Look at verse 23, therefore in the resurrection, okay, remember their hang up with, they did not believe in the resurrection, they they only held to the law of Moses, nothing else, they oh, the Sadducees only believed in the books of Moses, uh, the first five books of the Bible, not anything else, and so they did not believe in the resurrection and all of this, but they ask a question about it, verse 23, therefore in the resurrection when they rise, whose wife will she be? For all seven had her as wife Jesus answered and said to them are you not therefore mistaken because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God in other words Jesus is saying he, you wouldn't even be asking this question even if you knew the law of Moses guys and then let's continue on there verse 25 for when they rise from the dead they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are like angels in heaven but concerning the dead um, That they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the burning bush passage, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So, knowing these guys followed the law of Moses, Jesus brings up a passage out of the Bible from the law of Moses. It's found in Exodus 3. Jesus temporarily forgets that, and he just says, yeah, it's somewhere in the passage about the burning bush. Just kidding, he didn't forget that. You know, chapters and numbers in your Bible. That's a relatively new thing. You know, they didn't have that back when the Bible was even completed in in the canon of Scripture. Uh, But he says here in the burning bush passage, how God says, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Verse 27 He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. In other words, guys. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they are alive eternally. There is an afterlife. You do go somewhere and you live forever. And he goes on to say at the end of verse 27, you are therefore greatly mistaken. So there's a lot right there. But see, they they had this hang up with with eternity. They didn't believe in it. So they ask this hypothetical question. Jesus in verse 24 begins to reveal their ignorance to the Scriptures. Saying, guys, if, if you knew the Scriptures, you would see that there is an eternity. That Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive forever in eternity. And God is the God of them because God is the God of the living and they are living eternally. So he, exp- he explains this here. And basically says, the point is, guys, I am the God of the living. And if they had known the Scriptures, they wouldn't have even asked this question. It was a question about theology. And if they had known their Scriptures, their theology wouldn't be messed up. Isn't that true today? If we had known our Scriptures, our theology wouldn't be messed up. I'll tell you what, at the Orchard Church, we are about the Bible. It is the Word of God that matters here at the Orchard Church. It's not just like, you know, what did Pastor Doug say, or what did Pastor Barry say, or what did that man say, or woman say, or it's not about that. It is what does the Word of God say. That is what it is all about. Yeah. Give a little clap for that. great quote from a man named Kent Hughes, and he says this, he says that all theological error can be traced back to two things. People don't know their Bibles, and if they did, they don't believe that God has the power to do what he says. So I tell you what, if you wanted to sum up what is going on in a lot of churches today, now I'm not being down on any some church or anything like that or any denomination, I'm just Telling you the truth about what goes on in the world today. There's a lot of people not knowing what the Bible says. And if they do know what the Bible says, they don't believe. It's so sad, church. And you you see these, you know, these folks, they just didn't know the Bible. And this is why at the Orchard Church and other great churches around here, you're going to get Bible, Bible, Bible. That is what is important. That is why at the start of every teaching session, somebody says, open up your Bibles too, and we tell you where. We want you to know your Bibles. We want you to get a good handle on your Bible. We want you to get a Bible in the back if you don't have a Bible. And then you'll need to get a new one, because that one has like a number four font, and you'll be like this all the time. Okay? (laughs) Okay? And you'll need LASIK surgery and all of that because it's you know that's just to get you by till you get one you're comfortable with and all of that good stuff, you know. But that's because that that happens in the back, and we say turn in your Bibles because we want the scriptures written on your hearts. The, it, it, we we covet that for you as a leadership team. We want the Word of God to be the authority in your life. I will tell you what, it is big in our worship too. It is big in our, in our, when we stand out here and we sing praises and songs of worship to the Lord, know this, many times we're singing just a straight scripture, you know, and it's been put to music and it has a melody and all those things, but we're singing the word of God, and even through that, you can have correct belief about God or theology, even through the music, that is a teaching time as well. That's not a time to be in the lobby. That's that's not a time to, you know, get get your last donuts. That's a time time of teaching theology, actually, as we worship the Lord. Kind of get a twofer there, don't you? (laughs) Folks, if you know your Bible, you have a defense against the enemy. If you know your Bible, you have light for the truth. If you know your Bible, uh, your soul, the, the Bible talks about how your soul can get hungry. But if you know your Bible, your soul won't get hungry. If you know your Bible, you have a solid foundation on which to stand and build your belief in God and theology. But you've got to know your Bible. And guess what? This is great. If you know your Bible, when the storms of life come, and guess what, church? They will. You'll wake up one day and you will be hit in the face with this has happened, or that has happened to my family, or this tragedy has happened. And guess what? When you know the Word of God and the storms of life come, you can stand. You can stand. And if you don't know the Word of God and the storms of life come, you are knocked down like a tree having no foundation. So, church, our belief about God, our theology, comes 100% from the Bible. So, the religious leaders in this passage, they question the authority of Jesus. They question their responsibility. You know, they're just all thinking about this earthly world and this life and secular. But what about your responsibility to God? And then, they have this question about, or a question of theology. And then, number four, they ask a question of priority. Priority. A question of priority. Look with me at verse number uh, 28. Again, the scribes. Look at verse 28. Then one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? He's asking a question of priority. And the scribes, they were, man, they were into. The law and these commandments, in fact, they had 613 of these precepts that they were to keep. 365 of them were negative, so there was one for every day of the year. And kind of their hobby or their pastime was to sit around and discuss which one was the greatest. So we have a question about priority here. Which one of these is tops, Jesus? Which one? And Jesus gets to the heart of it real quick. Verse 29, Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And they, the Jews knew this. The scribes knew this. They recited this daily. Verse 30, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribes said to him, Well said, teacher. A light bulb is coming on in this scribe's mind. He says, You have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other but He. And to love Him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as yourself, is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. This scribe is getting it. Verse 34, Now when Jesus saw that He had answered wisely, He said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. In other words, you're looking at the Scriptures truthfully. In other words, you're answering out of the truth, not out of some party line or what the scribes say. He goes on to say in verse 34, but after that, no one dared question him. Woo! So Jesus gets to the heart of this quick, and he says, our priority is to not live by rules. And, he was, and the scribes got it. Because they lived by rules. They discussed the rules. They debated the rules. And Jesus said, guys, our job is not to live by rules. Our priority is a loving relationship to God. And that enables us to have a loving relationship with others. Vertically, horizontal. Love God Love others. The scribe agrees. And Jesus says, hey man, you're, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You're getting it here. You're, you're understanding it. And he just sums it up with the, with the laws into two commandments. Love God. Love others. That is our priority, church. That is our priority today. Some of you have tattoos. And I should probably get love God, love others, tattooed on my chest backwards. So when I look in the mirror, I see it. That just sounded strange. And because I walk around with a shirt off all the time. In the morning, okay? (laughs) Seriously though. I need that. We need that. I need to see that all the time and be reminded of that. Because I ask myself, and you should ask yourself this morning, does that rule your lives? Love God, love others. Does that rule your life, your actions? It should. Oh man, that can be hard to do. I mean, I can love God, I can come in here and sing worship songs and all that, I, I can love God, but then I can love some others, <laughs> but you're asking me to love all others? That can be difficult. What about that one guy at work, and what about my boss, and what about that one person that, you know, my kid is in their group at school and their parents aren't very nice, and well, you know, What about them? Can I get an exception clause written in there for them? No, it's love God, love others. Love God completely, totally, wholly. And with that kind of complete, total wholeness, love others. That can be a tough thing. But I tell you what, when we keep those two, we tend to keep all the rest. You know what's not a problem walking with the Lord? When we're keeping those two a lot of other stuff just falls into place that is why point 3 was a question of theology it's it's the what and point 4 is the why it's priority that's the why so jesus was asked here this question of authority one of responsibility theology question of our priority and then number 5 a question of identity And this is the question that Jesus asks to the religious leaders of the time. A question of identity. Look with me at verse 35. It says this, Then Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, How is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? For David himself... Said by the Holy Spirit, and he's quoting David here from the Old Testament. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, David himself calls him Lord. How is it he then is his son? And the common people heard him gladly. Now, we're going to stop right there. Because, boy, you could do a whole message on a few verses right there. But Jesus asks a question and he focuses on the most important question of all and it's the most important question for us today as well is as well who is jesus or who is the messiah what do you think of jesus whose son is he now this was not a dumb question this was the ultimate question and jesus asks them in this passage hey guys i want you to explain how David's son could also be David's Lord. And you see, the Jews believe that the Messiah would come through, would be a descendant of David, come through his family tree, right? And so, it'd be his descendant. And so the only way David could call him his descendant or son, and also Lord, is if God came in the flesh. The Messiah arrives. And the answer to that question, of course, is Jesus is God in human flesh. God's plan came to this earth, born of a virgin, comes to this world to die on the cross for my sin, for your sin, so that we through faith, when you place your faith and trust in that, in Him as our Savior, we can have eternal life. Now we're going to come back to that. But I've got to point out that this section closes with two warnings from the Lord. Look at verse 38 with me. Verse 38, we'll drop down there. We'll come back up to this. But verse 38 says this, Then he said to them in his teaching, Beware the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts. (laughs) And these scribes were part of his audience this day. Now he throws out a warning about them. Hey, watch out for these guys who want the best seats at the Broncos game, and they eat at all the fancy restaurants, and, you know, it's all about this pride for them. Watch out for these guys, verse 40, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. And then look at verse 41, another warning here. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. You know, their the responsibility was happening here. Part of, part of their responsibility. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and withdrew in, and threw in two mites, which make a quadrums. Okay, that's, that equals today to a, a fraction of a couple of cents. A couple of pennies. So he called his disciples, verse 43, so he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. And we'll pause right there. So this is a warning, and this is in your notes, these two passages here. This is a warning against the pride of the scribes. And again, they were standing right there. And... This was also uh, a warning against the pride of the rich, who he was also speaking to the scribes because they were the the wealthy, they were the religious wealthy aristocrats walking around with their nose held high of the day. So a, a, uh, a warning against the scribes, a warning against the pride of the rich. And he had just spent all this time answering questions from the religious, from the scribes, from these money-hungry scribes. And he's just simply saying here, these guys are no good. Stay away from them. They are bad news. They were around and the common people were around. And Jesus is pointing out that these guys who have been asking these questions, these so-called religious of the day common people, watch out for them. They are no good. Bad news bears right there. Watch out for them. Now, look back up in verse 37. Verse 37 of chapter 12. We, we saw this. The second part of that verse says this. And the common people heard him gladly. They got it. When Jesus even asked this question about David in the Old Testament, they got it. It's the religious leaders of the day who they did not. Their hearts were hard. They would not believe it. They would not submit to the authority that had come on the scene. They weren't going to do it. But it's the common people like me and you that got it. That got that Jesus is God in the flesh. And this last question that Jesus asks us, this final one that he poses to them Folks, it's not a dumb question. It, it is a question for us today. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to Have you decided who Jesus is and what you will do with Him? And if your answer is, well, He's somebody that my grandparents really followed, or He's somebody that You know, I've heard he's got some good teachings, but I'm not buying the whole God thing. If that's your answer, you're like the hard-hearted, blind religious of the day. The common people got it that Jesus was God. And this morning, if you're here and you'd say, you know, honestly, Barry, I have never really decided who I was going to say Jesus is, what I'm going to believe about him... I mean, I've heard some stuff from my family and all of that, but I've never on my own taken my own responsibility and made a decision for Jesus. That is the most important thing that you can do on this Labor Day weekend, folks.